Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod save the queen. Welcome back to Pod Save the Queen, the Daily Mirror's royal podcast. I'm Anne Gripper, and I'm joined once again by Victoria Murphy, the Daily Mirror's royal correspondent. Hello. We thought last week when we finished our episode that this week we'd have a nice chat about what Meghan and Harry had been up to in Cardiff and the reaction there and what she wore and we will be doing all of that but as uh, Royal Week seemed to be like dog years at the moment and rather full of lots and time for everything to happen in them um, we've got a second Royal Wedding to talk about which was a bit of a surprise on a Monday morning or was it or was it not so much of a surprise? It was a little bit of a surprise um, the timing certainly we didn't have any imminent indication that that was on its way. But I think if you look at Eugenie and Jack, they've been together for a long time. They're very happy together. There was a lot of rumours last year, actually, that they had become engaged and that they had set the intention to marry. Um, So it was one of those things that was definitely a when, not an if. Um, I do feel a bit like 2018, maybe 2011, all over again. We've got two royal weddings. It just has that kind of feeling of uh, of history repeating itself. Wedding plus wedding equals William and Kate's wedding, or William and Kate's mean? wedding plus Zara. Zara oh, and yes. Mike were married, so we had a big royal wedding, and then we had a more low key royal wedding later on in the year. And this is obviously what we're going to see this year. Uh, all we know so far is that Eugenie and Jack are going to get married in the autumn and that they have chosen the same venue as Harry and Meghan. It's actually a very natural choice for the pair of them because Prince Andrew lives at the Royal Lodge in Windsor. That's been his home for many years. So Windsor is actually very synonymous with that branch of the royal family. So it would always make sense for Eugenie to marry there. However, because she's not a senior royal, she could have gone for something a lot more low-key and a lot more private if she'd wanted to. But the fact that they've chosen this royal venue suggests that it will be a wedding of a certain scale. It will definitely have a lot of grandeur to it. I mean, let's face it, you know, Andrew and Fergie aren't exactly known for being low-key. So I think we can expect this to be a quite an impressive party. Certainly. Um, usually. Yes, Eugenie. I've been calling her Princess Eugenie all my life. Me too, me too. Before I started covering the Royal Beat, I thought it was Eugenie. It's not. <laughs> it's Eugenie. Um, that's how. You, that's the correct pronunciation. It's pretty. It's a pretty name. We've all learned something today. Yeah. Well, I have definitely practice. 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 Um, 
and uh, her her young man, Jack. Yeah. What what do we know about him? Have you met have you met him? Have you met the both of them? I haven't met him, but I have seen them together. I saw them together um, when Prince Harry hosted the Invictus Games in London. He invited a lot of his close friends, and he's actually very good friends with Eugenie to come to the opening ceremony and we were also invited to kind of mingle and I, I was sitting actually and I was having a drink and obviously I was working so it was a soft drink <laughs> and usually um, and, um, and Jack walked past me and they were laughing their heads off and he had his arm kind of flung over her shoulder and I think she was kind of holding his hand with hers and actually they just looked super super happy and there was nobody else around with them no one watching them no one you know no entourage or anything obviously and actually I just remember looking at them and thinking gosh they really are really in love and it's really sweet um and they do seem to be a pretty down-to-earth couple um they both have jobs she's always worked um, her and Beatrice have taken a bit of flack um, over the years for not maybe working as much. I think more Beatrice than Eugenie has been the target of those accusations. People have said they go on a lot of holidays, they're not really doing real jobs. But to be fair to Eugenie, she went to university, she did well, she has held down jobs and she's currently got you know, a good position as a director at a gallery in Mayfair. She works full time. Uh, we have no reason to believe that she, you know, slacks off. You know, she seems to be someone who is pretty switched on about what she wants to do um, and certainly doesn't have any expectation that she is going to not work or, or be um, somebody who carries out raw duties for a living. You know, she's far too far down the pecking order to expect to do that. So what kind of role will she and Jack have in the royal family going forward? So Jack and Eugenie are, obviously she's eighth in line to the throne, but she'll very quickly be ninth in line to the throne when Kate's next baby's born. And obviously if Meghan and Harry have children, if Beatrice has children, they will all knock Eugenie further and further down. So she's very, she's far removed, so they won't have official roles. From time to time, they'll appear with the royal family, make public appearances. She sometimes does charity appearances as well. Um, she is the patron of... Um, she actually had an operation when she was younger to correct a curvature of her spine, and she's now linked with charities um, to do with scoliosis. Um, and she, she will make the occasional charitable appearance, but she's very much, you know, pretty much a private citizen. Although, interestingly... She and Jack will be living in Kensington Palace. So they intend to live in a cottage called Ivy Cottage, which is quite close to Harry and Meghan's cottage and obviously William and Kate's house in the grounds of Kensington Palace. So there has been a little bit of um, sort of eyebrows raised among some royal watchers about, you know, what are they paying to live there? We're being told we understand they're paying uh, paying market rate to live there. What is that in a palace? Who knows? There aren't that many yeah. in around to compare with. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we're ever going to find out exactly what they're paying to live there. But she's. Um, it, that seems to be the plan that that they're going to live there. Certainly for the immediate future but they won't be full-time working royals. Plenty of babysitters around for William and Kate, though. They can get so Harry true. and Meghan in to look after yeah. their kids. Well, actually, um, 
Harry is really close to Eugenie. They're really good friends. Obviously, he actually dated Cressida, was um, one of Eugenie's close friends, and we understand that she helped introduce them, and she was one of the first people to meet Meghan. So I think of the royal cousins, I think Harry has a particularly close relationship with Eugenie, so I think that they'll have a lot of fun there, the two, you know, couples hanging out. <laughs> so it's nice to be able to live near your mates, and it's mm. not always possible in London because it's so big, and probably even less possible when you're a royal and live in a palace so does that mean there will be quite a lot of crossover in their guest lists because they seem to hang out with a lot of the same people when I was looking through it yesterday writing about it I think so I think well Eugenie and Harry do have a lot of similar friends yes Uh, but Jack's obviously got his friends and Meghan's got hers and I think the difference between the two weddings will be that that Harry even though it's not a wedding of the scale of William and Kate's it's not a state occasion he will still be required to invite a certain number of public figures for example the prime minister and some other dignitaries will have to go to his wedding but there's absolutely zero requirement for Eugenie to do any of that. So her guest list will be entirely friends and family, whereas Harry does have a certain requirement to invite some public figures. Um, the kind of the reaction after her engagement announcement was interesting as well. So her mum, Fergie, yeah, took to took to social media. Obviously, proud and delighted mother but also so totally Fergie. She's kind of got a bit of a <laughs> reputation no. for being a bit naff, is maybe well, the best word for it. Yeah. And she kind of lived up to that expectation. And you can... I mean, any mother of the bride is going to be super excited about a wedding to plan, hopefully, assuming they like the groom. And she was effusive in what she said about him yesterday. So yeah. we're going to assume that that is a given. But she is surely going to be over the moon at having this big occasion to be a part of. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the announcement came from the Duke and Duchess of York. Now, obviously, they're divorced. They divorced in 1996, but Andrew and Fergie have this kind of really unusual relationship where they are, they say in their own words, the happiest divorced couple around. So they actually... Uh, she lives, stay, spends a lot of time with him at the Royal Lodge Windsor. Does she live there? Not really, but she certainly spends a lot of time there when she's in the UK. Um, they bought a ski chalet together that they said they bought as a nest egg for their two daughters. They're incredibly close as a, as a couple, and they have kind of created this family environment, even though they've been divorced. So the announcement came from the two of them, and that was the formal announcement. But then Fergie obviously felt that she had more that she wanted to say, and that with her there doesn't seem to be much of a filter. So this kind of seems to be every emotion that she's feeling, she'll just kind of put out there. Um, And it can be quite endearing, and to some people maybe a little bit strange. Uh, Some of the comments that she was making on her social media were like very effusive over the top lots of I think she posted a picture of Eugenie and Jack saying on a boat uh, saying they float oh gosh I can't remember exactly what it said now something about floating in love and then adding but a boat helps (laughs) (laughs) and then and then just lots and lots of total joy total excitement you could really feel the enthusiasm coming from her it was very far removed from any kind of formal statements that we would see from a member of the royal family. Usually they just keep it very simple. We're delighted, we're very pleased, that kind of thing. 
I shouldn't really complain because I keep saying I want to hear them being human and you can't get much more human than yeah. Fergie's reaction. And obviously you have this kind of situation with that branch of the royal family where, uh, well, with certain individuals, I suppose, where she has her own private Twitter account. So she can post things. She's not a member of the royal family, although she's obviously very closely linked to the royal family. And so she has the ability to go out there by herself and put stuff out there and we know that she has done that in the past she's given interviews she's done a lot of things and she's done product endorsements and kind of promoted a lot of her own business ventures as well and it's all very separate to what the royal household is doing and the announcements that they are putting out it'll be interesting interesting to see how the wedding plans evolve i think it's gonna be really interesting to see what goes on with that wedding i think it's going to be I think probably a lot of fun um, and possibly a few surprises. I think we'll have to wait and see. How much do you think we'll see of it? I I don't think it'll be televised. It would be strange for it to be televised, but I think we'll see, certainly there'll be a lot of media interest. So there'll be images from outside the church. There may be some kind of public, there may be a procession when she arrives or leaves that the public gets to see. People have floated the suggestion that, you know, could this branch of the royal family sell their wedding, access to their wedding to a magazine or a television company? Obviously, Peter Phillips did with Hello magazine. And we that should bid was... on it. We could have God, God <laughs> save the Queen inside the royal wedding. Wow, I think we might need to up our budget slightly if we, <laughs> we're going to be in contention. But the, I'd like to say I would find that very unlikely and it would be completely out of the question. There was a lot of um, controversy, just a lot of kind of raised eyebrows about the Peter Phillips situation when that happened. But I don't think there's any kind of blanket ban or anything. So I, I, I think we'll just have to see how it pans out, really. Be Fergie on Facebook Live, sharing it direct well, from the mother of the bride seat. We should certainly watch her Twitter feed anyway if we can't get inside, that's for sure. <laughs> so lots of excitement there. Congratulations to yeah, Eugenie. And, and actually, it was lovely when they did... We haven't talked about their engagement interview that they did, which was really sweet. And they seemed really genuinely quite lovely and happy. It was a very brief interview. It had a slightly... They were standing up, what we would call a doorstep interview in the media, where you're not really getting the opportunity to sit down. You're kind of asked to just grab somebody as they're coming out of a venue, and that's why it's called a doorstep interview. Mm. And it has that feeling of they could just bolt at any moment. That's <laughs> kind of designed to make the interviewer feel slightly on edge, I think. And so there was um, there was that sort of feel to it. And the guy from the one show didn't. He didn't really get a lot of meaty answers to his questions. It was quite tricky, I think. A lot of very brief answers there. But we did glean some information about the proposal, um, about He's, the ring. He seems to have done good, the boy. Down on, yeah. down on one knee, by a lake in Nicaragua. Yeah. It's not too shabby. I thought he looked a little bit flustered throughout the interview. And in the pictures as well, I thought he looked could have maybe done with a little bit of powder or something. But they certainly seemed really really happy though and that's lovely and the the ring choice is interesting as well so he found this this is another word i can't say any ideas do not ask me i'm just pink sapphire i'm calling it a pink sapphire pink sapphire um so he'd found the stone but wasn't prepared to commit it to a ring 
without Eugenie deciding signing what off on she it. Liked. I think were his words. I like that. I like the fact that they're a modern young couple and they designed the ring together. And also, it was so similar to her mother's ring. Obviously, Fergie had a red stone as well. Hers was a ruby, surrounded by diamonds with the gold band. Now very distinctive style. I don't think it was a coincidence that Eugenie had a hand in the design and it ended up looking just like her mother's ring. And that's really lovely. You know, she obviously feels that her mother's engagement ring was something that she really liked the look of and also maybe the symbolic nature of thinking about her parents' marriage. Even though it ended, they still seem very happy. So... (laughs) So I think that's something that's nice that she did that. So lots more excitement to look forward to. We'll try to keep you up to date with two royal weddings. I know. And a royal baby and all of the other royal excitement coming throughout 2018. So do subscribe. Thank you to everyone who's left us a rating so far. We'd love to see more ratings and reviews. And obviously email us, podsavethequeen at trinitymirror.com with your questions. We've got a couple that we will come to later on. Um, First of all... Back to Cardiff. Yeah. Last Thursday, um, you headed off down the M4. No, on the train. On the train. Yeah. Well, this so we... was the story, really. The train ended up being the story, not my train, because I got on my train at Paddington, and two hours later, I was in Cardiff. Happy days. Not so for Harry and Meghan. They oh. got delayed. They had a terrible journey. And we said in Brixton, nothing more British than a Marks and Spencer's jumper. Also, nothing more British than being delayed on the train. I know. And it was an hour, an hour delay in the end. And it does just show you, I think a lot of people imagine that this wouldn't happen to the royals because surely somebody would make something happen that would make the train go. But actually, it shows you that the royals aren't immune to this and there's nothing they can do. They, I think they were hugely, hugely frustrated because they were so mindful of the fact that there was lots of people waiting for them. They had a big programme of things to get to. Crowds were standing in the rain. It was pretty cold. And it's only their second big event this year. They wanted it to be a success. They didn't want it to start off with them being late. Even if everyone knew it wasn't their fault, it's still a not a good beginning. And you could see Harry's face when he came out of the car. He was not happy at all. He looked pretty fed up. And I was actually standing right by the lineup of dignitaries when they arrived and they whizzed through that lineup. And I think that was deliberate because I think that they were feeling that they needed to make up the time where they could, but without sacrificing interacting with the crowds. So they whizzed through the dignitaries lineup, and then they spent what quite a long time, even though they were running late, speaking to all the members of the crowds. And I think that does give a bit of an insight into their psychology, really, that they see, they do feel that the ordinary people who bother to come down and stand there mm-hmm. are the people that deserve their attention and that they want to go and speak to so I think that was nice and and then it went really well after that the day was a great success Harry and Meghan both just really fun quite open very chatty very natural very relaxed Meghan again and the same with her Brixton appearance She was very relaxed. She had the same messy bun that we spent a lot of time talking about on our last podcast. Even with the extra hour on the train. Yeah. Didn't bother doing her hair. Clearly no hairdresser employed there at all. No one's been brought in to do anything like that. She had pretty pretty plain 
outfit on, sticking to what we discussed before, actually, very neutral colours, the belted coat, nothing um, kind of stand out, just all very plain. She, I think she's probably starting to send maybe a bit of a message that she doesn't want it to be about the clothes, even though it's almost impossible for that oh. to be something that people never discuss. Interesting. She, but it is dark. She again went for a, a really dark yeah, coat. and black coat. I think it was black or it was certainly very dark navy. Just And dark trousers, just very neutral. She did use her clothes, actually, to make a statement as well. She wore a pair of trousers by a brand, a Welsh brand. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It could be... Huit or Hewitt, H-U-I-T, and they are a company who was uh, that was started when a, a clothing factory shut down in one part of Wales, and in order to get some people back their jobs, uh, this factory was started by a husband and wife team, and making these jeans and these trousers, and so in wearing those trousers, Megan drew huge attention to that company, and actually will have undoubtedly boosted their profits and their sales. And so that shows that she has got you know, an eye on these things and it was a kind of quite a, um, a, a social statement, really, that she did that. So that was nice. Um, so set, this, set the scene for us in Cardiff for people who haven't ever been to Cardiff. Cardiff Castle. Uh, lots of our, um, our international listeners who... So Cardiff, just over the border in Wales. Yeah, the capital city of Wales. Big city, uh, very thriving student city, very popular university there. In the centre of the town, in the centre of the city, there is a castle. I believe it's kind of, you know, parts of the castle are about 2,000 years old. And it's actually really nice because it's just off one of the main shopping streets, but you kind of go into the walls of this castle and it's a real haven it's this lovely green space and it's quite tranquil and I imagine in nice weather people go and sit there and have their lunch their lunch break and it feels like a little bit of a haven I mean the weather was appalling (laughs) so it was it was rainy and cold so people were beginning to gather from about an hour before the royals were supposed to arrive lining there was a pathway going from the archway where you go into the walls of the castle down to the entrance of the internal building where they were looking at some produce and meeting people local people and so crowds were lining those areas really lining the path to try and get to speak to them as media was mostly on one side the public mostly on the other side Um, And it just got busier and busier, as it always does when the royals are going anywhere. I think there's a mixture of people who've come down deliberately and come down specially. And then there's a mixture of people who are in the area, see something's going on and decide to stay. So that's always the case. And then Harry and Meghan arrived and everyone went crazy and they sort of walked down and they chat to people. And inevitably with these things nowadays, it's just a sea of phones. So you'll be seeing people will be talking to them, but at the same time filming them so not really speaking and then there's always about 20 camera phones shoved in their face wherever they go and whoever they're speaking to which must be very strange I would love to have just an experience of being on that side of things and seeing what it's like and I'm there obviously as a journalist doing exactly that filming on my camera phone and trying to get the shot so I'm always kind of you're focusing on what I'm doing but it must be a surreal experience for them to have all those phones 
And are they are they allowed to do selfies? What's the sort of no. rules in inverted so, commas? They would say that there is no official rule. It's not written down anywhere. But the royal family are not fans of selfies. I think it's a combination of the fact that... I mean, Harry says all the time, no, you won't get me doing a selfie, I'm not doing a selfie, I hate selfies. Meghan actually said in Nottingham we're not allowed to do selfies. So I think that showed that she'd been told selfies are not a good idea. I'd say there isn't a full-on ban, but... I mean, I've seen, for example, William do a selfie with um, a sick child who's asked him, will you do a selfie? And at that stage, I think it's a bit different. He's not going to say no, but it's not something that they want to do. They're not really comfortable with it. I think it's partly because they feel that if they do a selfie with one person, they would have to keep doing selfies, and that's all they'd end up doing. And also because selfies are kind of... They are a bit cheesy and, and maybe just just that little bit too informal the royals like to be informal but posing for a selfie is maybe just a little bit too far and how about autographs because Megan wrote in um, a little girl's book I think when we saw the picture afterwards she hadn't actually written her name as sort of an autograph she'd written a message to this girl so they're not they don't like to do autographs Um, they're not allowed to do them I think, again, it's something to do with a combination of people would sell the autographs and that's not what they want. So they don't want things to be interactions that they have with the public to end up being commercialised and that could happen. Maybe it's to do with signatures being forged. Maybe it's to do with not wanting people to have that. It's not something they want to do. But Megan didn't do that. She just wrote the little girl's name in her book, which is fine. I think they write messages from time to time. Although, again... It's something I think they probably try not to do because if they do it once, they feel that they have to keep doing that with everyone they meet and can they say yes to one person, then no to the next person. It gets a bit tricky. So did they manage to complete their whole programme despite the delay? They did everything and they were they went the full length. So they were an hour late and they finished around an hour later than they were expected to finish. So they didn't, in the end, actually make back any time. Because after the castle, they went on to um, Tremorfa which is mm-hmm. a much more, well, previously run-down, difficult part of Cardiff. I think it was talk that the taxi drivers used to boycott it because it was oh, okay. so difficult and, um, you know, risky to go there. Um, so there they went to a different kind of project and saw things in action, I think. And we saw Megan for the first time, really, since she's been Harry's fiance, interacting with children. Yeah, so it's quite sweet. They went to a community centre. They were meeting children who were doing, I think, sporting activities. Gosh, it feels like forever ago now. I'm just trying to remember what they were doing. Um, Megan played Jenga, I remember that. And it was nice because we've never seen her interacting with young people before on an event. She was very cool about it. She was very relaxed. I think that's the thing about Meghan and Harry is that you feel that they are quite cool and that the young people respect them a little bit and that they can relate to young people a lot more than William and Kate can, but certainly the older members of the family probably find it more difficult. And I thought it was this really lovely moment when Harry said to all the kids, oh, everyone, give Meghan a group hug. They all rushed in and and hugged her and she was really happy about that. And also it said a lot about Meghan and Harry's relationship. He really, he's very confident, very natural with the kids and he really wanted to bring her into that in a way and to use 
the popularity that he has to shine that back onto her. And I thought that was really nice when he said everyone hug Megan. Because that's something I really associate with him as a royal, that he enjoys spending time with young people and that they really relate to him. I know there was the it's a very different setting, but those pictures last year at the I think it was at the basketball when there was a small child that was stealing his popcorn and Love he was just playing pictures. along and um you know I think he's he's spoken before we we talked before um when he was first engaged about how he seemed to want to find love and he seems I, I see that he to me he seems to want a family and to have that he very much wants family he's super into kids super into yeah, this he he he's just very. He's a bit of a kid himself in some ways, and, and he's he fun is, uncle at the yeah, moment as well, yeah. isn't he? I'm just laughing, thinking to myself of like, what will he actually think when he gets kids and realizes <laughs> how hard work it is? He's not. You can't give them back once you've played with them. But, but I think he's definitely someone who is a real natural with children, and he he's like he's he's very much his mother's son perhaps even more so than William is in his personality and it's very instinctive his behaviour comes across as very instinctive when he's with young people and I think that that is one of his biggest assets really and it was cute as well so when, he, when they'd gone in for their group hug and then he's like right no that's enough she's mine yeah it was great it went really well and it's important that the public gets to see Megan because we don't know as much about her as we knew about Kate when she was marrying into the royal family. The public hasn't had as long a period of time to get used to her. She's also, the fact that she's an American citizen makes her feel slightly more of an outsider to the country. People need to get to know her, feel that she belongs to us. And the way that that is being done is by having lots of visits, as many visits as they feel that they want to do between now and the wedding so that people can get to know her and so that she can get to know the country. So we should expect another one quite soon, probably? I think so. I think sort of every maybe two to three weeks at least we might see something. What I would like to see now is a bit of glamour. I'd like to oh. see an evening event for Harry Premier. and Premier. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Oh, right. I don't know whether they'll deliberately stay away from that, though, because obviously her reputation as an actress and her she's done a lot of red carpet appearances and I wonder if they're trying to move away from that glamorous image and put put her in a different light which is good part works. of yeah and more serious more um you know everyday treading the pavements and seeing ordinary people so i'd like to see a bit of glamour i'm not sure we'll get to see it <laughs> the other thing that was interesting about her her outfit was so we talked about the the black coat that was dark and then underneath her jacket bardo-esque neckline mm. which Danielle had mentioned last week is an idea for her her wedding dress look but I thought the mismatched earrings that is quite cool uh, yeah she's got sort of a little ear cuff yeah which is not you know that's not really what you would associate with the royal family no. yes they're wearing ear cuffs this year <laughs> <laughs> she, she's worn quite a lot of funky jewellery though those rings that she wore in Brixton were quite trendy she's certainly very far away from appearing in anything that resembles a jewel I mean if you look at Kate today for example I was in um, a school in North London with Kate today she was launching a mental health initiative and she in the way she always does was dressed in some kind of skirt dress outfit she very rarely never wears trousers and Megan we've seen now twice in trousers and 
her hair's always done. Kate's hair's always done, even when she had her children and came out of hospital, her hair was done. And she was wearing really lovely, quite bling jewellery. She was wearing, um, it wasn't a sapphire, but it looked like a, a sort of a blue stone with um, diamonds around the outside and earrings to match. And the whole set was, was quite formal. And that's much more of her look. And Megan is, I could not imagine Kate appearing in, as you say, the clothes and jewellery that Megan wore. They've got very different styles. That's very interesting. So you mentioned Kate that you're out with today. I mean, Heads Together, it was a Heads Together event, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's and, right. Which has obviously been a big part of William and Harry and Kate's work together. Do you think they'll end up doing some kind of joint event at some stage with the two the two couples before Kate goes on maternity leave? Maybe actually. Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely possible. I mean, when Meghan marries into the royal family, she is going to become a patron of the Royal Foundation, which is the charitable foundation that William, Harry and Kate are currently patrons of, which f- is an umbrella for all of their charitable work. And within that, you have the heads together campaign which is specifically their mental health work so they've got different charities that they're working with on mental health projects obviously we had the london marathon last year was it two years ago they um heads together was the charity partner for that and then this is a big initiative that kate's launched today which is setting up a website that is going to be available in all primary schools for teachers to access so that they know that they can look up reliable resources for how to help children with their mental health to be honest it's kind of bizarre that this thing doesn't exist actually I thought we must have something like this but we don't there's no resource that teachers can go to that is a one-stop shop where they know they can get reliable mental health advice and that's what was launched today it's called mentally healthy schools a little bit of a tongue twister there let's listen to a bit of that now Mm. so you can hear what that's like children and parents Young and old, men and women, of all backgrounds and of all circumstances. What we've seen firsthand is that the simple act of having a conversation about mental health, that initial breaking of the silence, can make a real difference. But as you here today know, starting a conversation is just that. It's a start. This is particularly true of the conversations that take place in our schools and with our children. I see time and time again that there's so much to be gained from talking of mental health and taking the mental health of our children as seriously as we do their physical health. When we intervene early in life, we help avoid problems that are much more challenging to address in adulthood. My own commitment is to the youngest and most vulnerable in their early years, babies, toddlers, and school children, and to support all those who care for them. The role of teachers here is absolutely vital. You see our children as they grow, learn and play, as they build their social skills that will make a difference to their futures. You are uniquely placed to help children speak out about their mental and emotional challenges and direct parents and carers to the right support. I'm all too aware, however, of how much we ask teachers to take on. Teachers want to help, but don't have the time to go hunting for the best information and advice out there. 
You need resources you can trust. And you need to have easy access to them at all times. That is what this pilot is all about. Led by the Royal Foundation, with close collaboration from our Heads Together partners, this new online resource will transform schools' access to high-quality information and guide teachers and school leaders towards the best support out there. The ambition is to roll this website out this year so it's available to every teacher in every primary school in the UK. The ultimate goal is that all teachers in the country should know where to turn to for expert resources to support the emotional well-being and mental health of the children in their care. I would ask each of you here today to work with the Foundation to develop this new essential resource. Please let us know what works, what doesn't, and what else you'd like to see. This project has been a collaboration from day one, and it will only succeed if we continue to work together. And with that in mind, it's so exciting to see the Department of Education represented by the Minister here today, taking such a close interest. And finally, I'd like to say a huge thank you to you all. We would not be here today without the help of our Heads Together partners, including the Anna Roy Centre, Place to be and young minds. I am grateful too to the Centre of Mental Health, the National Association of Head Teachers, and the 50 schools taking part in this pilot. I'm so excited to see where this work will take us. She's definitely getting more relaxed with her public speaking, I felt. I remember being there for her first speech. Um, many years ago and it was an Ipswich at a hospice I don't know if you remember it do you remember I think I remember the video and it afterwards was, yeah and it was pretty shaky and she had a lot of quite over-the-top hand gestures which I think she must have been advised to do which thankfully she's now dropped and you felt for her because you could tell she was really really nervous and people were very kind about it afterwards because why would you be anything other than nice about someone who's trying their very best but and even the best public speakers would probably admit that they are usually a bit nervous yes. when they go up it is it can be a terrifying it's a thing huge to deal do. and you and she knew that you know the whole world wanted to see what, how she did and every aspect of that speech would be scrutinized and so she was just very nervous and she's not somebody who she's not a natural public speaker so she's been learning on the job and she's improved so much she's really now pretty relaxed she doesn't have the kind of informal style that Harry for example has and William also does as well to a certain extent and the ability to make it seem more conversational and where she's very much so reads her speeches but her delivery is so much more natural than it was at the beginning and she's definitely keep keeping on improving um so kate has obviously been doing her royal engagements for a, a long time but we know that megan's going to be doing them for years and years to come and she's now got an assistant to help her with things a yeah. little bit can you tell us tell us about that well it's interesting because Amy Pickerell, who is the woman's name who's been seen, um, 
Some of you may have seen her in the background of pictures, of videos, arriving with Meghan and Harry at royal events and standing a little distance away as they meet the crowds and then collecting the flowers and presents and holding on to them and kind of watching as the royals are carrying out their duties. She has been formally made assistant private secretary and she used to work in the press office actually. So she joined about a year ago as a member of the press office team and has now been moved into what they call the private office. So she doesn't answer my calls anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And um, she's really lovely, she's really nice. sort of woman in her 30-ish I think maybe just very early 30s and this has clearly happened because Harry and Meghan are going to be making more appearances they're going to need to have more staff so um, she has been taken into the private office and she's we understand being given particular responsibility for helping Meghan with her diary. Now, the role of the private secretaries is to plan the official diaries. So the private secretary and the assistant private secretaries put together the programme that the royal will carry out. And they go to meet venues beforehand, a recce, we call it, go and suss it out, see what's happening. And then they put together the diary and they liaise with the royals. And they are very senior professional aides different to a personal assistant where a personal assistant would be somebody who managed their more their private life who would be running errands for them who would be doing a lot more um clothes like we talked about last week exactly so the private secretaries wouldn't really certainly not formally have anything to do with the clothes it's all about the work the engagements um and in the same way that when william and kate became engaged they gradually took on more staff into the private office and actually kate had somebody called Rebecca Deacon who was helping her a lot at the beginning and then Rebecca was eventually formally made her private secretary and she carried out that role for a number of years and only recently left in the summer and there's now a new private secretary. But the private secretaries and the assistant private secretaries are important roles. They are, you know, some of the people who really do know all the secrets and and are right, are right, right there in the centre of the action. So how, how close is that relationship? Is it very much a working relationship? Does it become a friendship? Would, would you, do you think Rebecca Deacon is now a friend of Kate? I would think that... so. I would hope so, because they work very closely together for a large number of years. I think it's like, I suppose it's like any working relationship where it, it is a working relationship, but inevitably it's also a friendship because they work so closely together and the private secretaries get to know so much about the royals they don't necessarily know everything they don't know where they go on their days off they don't necessarily know you know when they start dating someone exact that that's happened straight away but eventually they would find out very quickly because they spend a lot of time with the royal and to be quite frank if the relationship isn't good then it's not it's not working is it so it's somebody who's either close to the royals and trusted and they get on or they're not in which case they're probably not going to be there for very much longer I mean the royal household is very it's a very friendly place people are very everyone I know who works there has really enjoyed it and really enjoys it they are really it's a really nice environment people are very supportive of each other there's a lot of um camaraderie you know they're, they're very um they, they, ha- they all have to be very discreet with the outside world. So I imagine that they probably really enjoy being able to <laughs> let their guard down when it's just them and actually share information and be open about stuff. 
And they're all in this kind of secret club, really, which I imagine probably feels quite exciting. And of course, you're at the centre of what is essentially the biggest circus in town wherever you go. And I think most people probably find that quite exciting. If you fancy joining it, there's a there's a job going at the moment. This is me talking to you, the listeners, not to Victoria. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> she she's on a different side of it. But yes, there's a there's a twelve month contract for a communications assistant for yeah. Harry and Meghan. So it's thirty thousand pounds or uh, forty one thousand eight hundred and sixty dollars apparently at the exchange oh, okay. rate that we were calculating it at the other day um, working for the royals and doing their social media specifically with Harry and Meghan over the next year because they're anticipating a big big year there's obviously the wedding then probably a tour you would think yeah I expect that they'll go away I think they'll probably go away sometime late spring early summer Um, and then they're definitely going to go away when he does the Invictus Games in Sydney in October so I would expect to see some kind of trip to Sydney um, to Australia and New Zealand around that time possibly even some other places as well Caribbean tour do you think? Well Harry went to the Caribbean not very long ago so I wouldn't say that would necessarily be top of their list Canada could be a good shout although they were in Canada for the last Invictus Games I think Africa is a good shout too. She has never visited his charity centre Barley, which he set up in memory of Princess Diana and works with AIDS orphans in Lesotho. And it's also branching out into Botswana now. So I would be very surprised if there wasn't some kind of trip to Africa within the next year with the two of them. Oh, so... Good, good job to apply for. <laughs> if yeah, you if fancy you like traveling. travel, if you, I mean, yes, and I think you know, the royal household offers you, you know, great springboard into lots of opportunities. So I'm sure it's a, it's a good job. And they post it like a normal thing on LinkedIn. Yeah. Totally. Well, they do have a lot of stuff. I mean, they, the, the household employs hundreds and hundreds of people, not just kind of the palace, Buckingham Palace. I mean cleaners and accounting staff and managerial staff and everything there's, there's so many people who work in the shop in Buckingham it Palace it is the firm too. yeah exactly I mean not all of the jobs are very well paid I have to say in fact some of them are not well paid at all but uh, it's certainly it's probably a good thing to have on your CV so um, we're talking about uh, Harry and Meghan perhaps going away at some stage and one thing that came out last week as well was the gift list which is always fascinating to look yeah. through. Um, my favourite one that I spotted just with a, with a quick look was um, Tim Peake's flag, the flag that yeah, went into space, yeah. which he apparently presented to the Queen at a dine and sleep event at Windsor, which <laughs> just sounds, sounds amazing. <laughs> no, Sleepover <this> <laughs> at the Queen's. This is the dine and sleep that the Queen hosts, so you get to have dinner with the Queen and then sleep somewhere else but it's, it's, it's yeah it's a kind of regular thing that they do for prominent figures in public life or people of interest um love to go to one of those I don't, don't think that royal correspondents are high on their list of in people to invite unfortunately um did you spot anything else on the gift list there that was you quite, quite a lot liked? yeah so there was there was a was there a purple dog bed that the queen had got the, probably the, the most interesting thing about this year's gift list was that we found out what Meghan's first gift was which was an apron which was actually given to Prince William in Finland from a member of the public who wanted to pass it on to Harry and Meghan I think that they might have heard that they like cooking and that they were cooking a chicken ah. when they became engaged 
Maybe. That would make sense. Well, maybe it's for both of them rather than specifically for it Megan. Was, if it was, it was. Yeah, on. it was. But it was still her first ever gift. That's so true. that was a good story. And then, yeah, they get, there's always a lot of books, a lot of coins, some medals, and then quite a lot of food produce. I think Charles got some tagliatelle this year and some hot sauce. Um, and like ready, steady cook. Inevitable, inevitably, there's a fair few quirky gifts. I don't think there's as many quirky ones on this year's list as previous years. Oh, well, annoyingly. this year should be a good year, though, you'd think. Yeah, we'll see, obviously, if Harry we'll and Meghan do any tours, what, what gifts they get. Um, one other quick thing to mention, um, it's been reported that Harry introduced Meghan to Tiggy Legbook, mm-hmm. who was his nanny for- yeah, Tiggy was, Tiggy's hugely important to Harry. She was his nanny, and royal nannies, obviously, you know, they bring up the children alongside the parents, and particularly because his mother died when he was only 12. Tiggy played a very important role in his life, and he's incredibly close to her. When Diana died, Tiggy actually took Harry and his friend off to Africa and spent some time with them to kind of help... To help him to get away from everything that was going on in the UK so there's no doubt that she is somebody who is hugely important to him and William her son was a page boy at William and Kate's wedding so it'll be interesting to see if Harry follows suit and does the same possibly not because maybe they'll share it out and have different people but it's that that is definitely a huge endorsement of the closeness of the relationship um, just time for a couple of questions from our listeners, I think. Um, firstly, Catherine Bowman, who says, I stumbled a prod- across your podcast in my Megan Mania and I'm loving it. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. That is great to hear. Um, and she's asking about the dress. She says, you don't think it could be an American designer for the royal wedding dress? See, I did say last week, I thought that it would probably be British or maybe Canadian. I still stand by that. I still think they are the most likely candidates for designers but I was thinking about it over this last week and thinking you know we can't rule out we can't rule out the possibility of of an of a, of a different designer and I think there'll be lots of British elements to the day so maybe if she wanted to have a somebody that was American or even a different nationality I think I think that would that would be fine so I think we'll have to see there was some chat of some Vera Wang the other day someone was floating that as a possibility it's quite quite I could see there being quite a good match there slightly edgy but Mm. we'll see could be spectacular the um the new Ralph and Russo collection has dropped we've got the pictures up on the website and they look amazing Ah. unlikely to be what she wears after wearing it for the engagement shoot but if you like looking at pretty dresses well worth (laughs) a look at um we've obviously talked a lot about what Megan might wear but um, one of our listeners, Mahishma, has asked um, what Prince Harry might wear. Will he wear a uniform? Yeah, these these military questions always stress me out because the military is so complex for someone who hasn't been in it. Or I think I think he will. He will definitely wear uniform, and it will be we expect of his most senior rank that he holds in the military now I'm wondering is that Captain General of the Royal Marines because he was recently made Captain General of the Royal Marines taking over from Prince Philip so could he wear that uniform I think that's that's a that's absolutely a possibility when William got married he wore his Irish Guards uniform so yeah (laughs) Harry looked great in his uniform at 
uh, William's suit. So he, Harry got the blue the blue suit. Yeah, and, and William had, got the red suit. Which and was, William had the red suit, which was the Irish Guards uniform. So which stood out appropriately for yeah. the green. But I preferred I preferred Harry's. Prince William's got a, a sharp new haircut as well. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Well, you know what's funny about William's new haircut is that it knocked Harry and Meghan off the front pages practically. <laughs> and I honestly think that he would have hoped, I bet I bet you that he chose to debut that haircut the day that they went to Cardiff in the hope that he could sneak it out under the radar and that nobody would make a fuss of it. And then by the time he made his next appearance, it would all be over and done with. But really, maybe you can blame the trains because then the trains delayed them by an hour. The light maybe wasn't as good for the <laughs> Harry and Meghan pictures, and then oh, we've got uh, a picture of William it, with his new hair, honestly, perfect for the front page. We did page. it huge on the front page of our paper, the, the Mirror, because I think there was just it was just a talking point, wasn't it? A lot of people were really interested in this conversation of what do you do when you've got thinning hair? Do you just decide to shave it all off, or do you try and keep growing as much as you can? Uh, so, for now, William seems to have taken the approach that he's just just gone for that shaved look. I don't. He didn't pay 180 pounds for it, which it was reported, um, and I was told that that's not right. And I think he found that quite funny actually that people would think he would pay that much money to have that little hair cut <laughs> off. But he's. I think we'll see him grow it again a little bit in the future, though. I don't think this is it forever. Because he and Harry both have. A similar issue. Harry's is Harry's in as now, bad. Yeah. is going as well. For but. a long time, Harry used to take the Mickey out of William for his thinning hair, but he can't really do that now. So, <laughs> two dashing gentlemen, anyway. But um, the final, the final one. Um, not so much for for you, but uh, Danielle Shaw has commented on the um, uproar that's been caused by. The girlfriend, now ex-girlfriend, of the leader of the UK Independence Party, um, who made some uh, really deeply unpleasant comments about Meghan Markle, racist mm. comments on um, over text messages, I think, with a friend. When yeah, this, they were horrible. Yeah, um, saying that uh, she would taint the royal family, which yeah. is obviously absolutely abhorrent. Um, the UK Independence Party is uh, to the right of British politics. It's very nationalist. It has um, has led us to Brexit. Effectively, they are the they are the um, party who has campaigned for years and years and years that mm. we should have a vote about Europe. Their anti-immigration um, is their classic policy stance. Anyway, they've uh, since winning Brexit, they've been in an absolute pickle. Anyway, they're on their fourth leader in I don't know how long. Then these mm. messages come out about his girlfriend. He makes an absolute um, hash of dumping her and talking about it on the radio, uh, and then continues to talk about it, not put the distance. Everybody's resigning around him, um, but it's all their fault, not Crisis, his. Yeah. It is. It is crazy so um as danielle says <laughs> i think it's an opportunity to have an important discussion about race relations in the uk and how pervasive racism is for people of color no matter what other privileges they might enjoy even joining the royal family which is yeah i mean it is an interesting point i think that certainly there's a lot of people that feel that megan's entering the royal family is a really big milestone and that she now makes the royal family much more reflective of the multicultural society that Britain is and also makes a lot a lot of people feel that they can relate to the royal family a lot more um, and, and I think that is interesting because you might you know you'll have young children who are mixed race or who are black and will 
look at the royal family now and see someone like them, which they couldn't see before. So I think that's... She's changing changing the royal yeah. family for the better. Yeah. So what, what do we have to look forward to in the next week? Any royal visits planned at the moment? So next week... We when do they go? When? Next week. They're going on uh, Monday night, but they're starting engagements on Tuesday morning. So they're doing a tour of Sweden and Norway. I'm going completely forgotten I was doing that next week um, <laughs> better get the so, childcare yeah. sorted out <laughs> yeah um, no that's right that, that is sorted out and they they are going to just Stockholm and Oslo so the two capitals I think what would be quite nice about that visit is that we're going to see them with the other royals so obviously Sweden and Norway both have royal families so you've got uh, the Swedish royals Crown Princess Victoria they're all quite young they've got youngish kids I think there could be some nice opportunities there to get some nice pictures unfortunately there's not going to be any tiaras which I think is a real missed opportunity because they're they're having a dinner in a royal palace so I thought we'd get a tiara but apparently not we need more tiaras in our lives I think that would be nice yeah so anyway we'll have a safe trip we look forward to hearing all about it follow Victoria on Twitter if you aren't already at Queen Vic Mirror because she will be tweeting like mad from yeah. now I'm sure with the pictures and the videos exactly. and she'll bring us back all of the gossip for the next episode of Pod Save the Queen so do subscribe thank you for listening this week and until next time Pod Save the Queen Pod Save the Queen